It's really good to see you guys. I'm excited to be back. Um, yeah, so tonight uh, we're going to be reading and in, in thinking out of uh, the book of James, which is, I think, probably my 1B favorite book in the Bible, you know? But uh, my favorite book of the Bible tends to be the last one I read. Anybody else like that? Yeah. So, uh, but James is, is one of my favorites because he's kind of direct, you know? He doesn't dance around a whole lot. He's not like, and he doesn't have long sentences like Paul. You know, Paul has these sentences that last like paragraphs, and you just get lost. Anybody know? Maybe that's just me. All right. Fair enough. Y'all tired? Man. Let's hear some, I mean, yeah, okay. I'll tell you what, next time I preach, y'all go out and have coffee first and then come in. How about that? Um, All right, so if you can, open your Bibles to James 5. You're going to reading verse uh, 17 and 18, right? Or, you know, open your Bible apps or however you do that nowadays. All right. Elisha was a man with nature just like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we love you. Jesus, thank you so much for being so good to us. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. God, that tonight your spirit would move in our hearts. Lord, we felt you here in worship. Lord, I pray that you would continue with us in preaching. Lord, um, help me clearly speak what you've put on my heart. Lord, help me um, communicate what your spirit is speaking to me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, uh, I wanted to show you a couple pictures um, first off. So, um, you know, I'm happily married with five kids. And sometimes people may think that that's like fun. But really, like this is like a behind-the-scenes photo. We were trying to do family pictures when we were in the Czech Republic. And um, this was the majority of the pictures. Right, so what you see, right, is always like the the silly little. I just kicked over my water. Cap was on. Praise Jesus. Okay, but what you see is always like the pause, right? Like the the one moment whenever you're taking a picture of families. If any of y'all are going in photography or whatever, Hayden, where you at? Take notes. Yeah, this is okay. If you're taking pictures of a family, what you do is you make weird noises and hold down the button and just take as many as you can because there's going to be one fraction of a second, one fraction of a second where everyone is looking vaguely in the vicinity of the camera. And that's the picture that they can use. And that's the only one. There'll be like 3,000 of them, but only one is usable. Most of them will look like this, you know, where you have. Uh, my son Donald kicking Henry for no reason. You know, like, why is he doing that? Here's another one. We tried to take a family selfie on our trampoline that sometimes I throw my kids on. Um, the, my favorite part of this trampoline is that it has a zipper net, right? And the zipper doesn't work on the inside. It only works on the outside. So... And if it's summer out to, out to, you know, summertime, then you just put the sprinkler underneath the trampoline, and it's fine, right? They, they're not going to die. It'll, yeah. But I get, like, 20 minutes to myself, so it's all good. But here you can see the chaos, right? Like, bottom left corner is my favorite kind of quadrant of this picture. I don't know if you noticed Harold or not, but he did not want to have his picture taken. I don't know if you can tell by that. But, yeah, that's my beautiful wife, right? And our kids. And... I like to think that my wife and I have a really good marriage, right? We, uh, we have enjoyed each other's company. My wife and I have been dating 
for 15 years, and we've been married for 13. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, so like, I met my wife when some of y'all were like three and four years old. That's crazy. That's crazy. All right, but we have five beautiful children. We're very happily married. We've learned how to live together, right? But uh, what I want to talk about is, I kind of titled this message, the two concepts I want to talk about is miracle and mundane, right? The miracle and mundane. So a lot of times we, we think in terms of miracle, right? We, we think in terms of this big, grandiose kind of thing, right? But really, life is about the mundane, isn't it? Life is really about getting through that daily grind, the little things, you know, just being diligent, just getting out of bed every morning. That's what life's about, right? And so um, I remember one time, right after my wife and I got married, we, we'd been married for maybe three months, right? And um, we, uh, we had to open a new bank account, right? Another little mundane thing. So I go to the bank, right? I'm going to a credit union in Huntsville, Texas, right? And I'm sitting across from the bank manager, okay? And um, I'm signing all the paperwork, and I notice as I'm signing the paperwork, he has a wedding ring on, you know? And, and I'm like a big wide-eyed newlywed, and you know, the world is all rainbows and unicorns, and it's great. And so I'm like, I'm thinking in my head, right, I have gotten to know my wife on this level over the last three months that I had never conceived was possible. I mean, like, you know, you have a friend, and then you become roommates, and then you're like, oh, I'm seeing too much now. You know what I mean? Well, think of that, but good, you know? And, and the fact that she, you know, sometimes leaves the dirty dishes in the sink is endearing, you know? It's not annoying at all. It's endearing, right? No. Um, but no, I had gotten to know my wife, and, and so I'm like looking at this guy, and I ask him, I'm like, hey, uh, I see you're married. How, um, how long have you been married? And uh, he was like, oh, my wife and I have been married for over 15 years now. I'm like, Wow. What is that like? That's like, because I know how close I feel to my wife after three months. Can you imagine 15 years, that trajectory? What is that like? You're pretty much one person, you know? And so, so I'm like, well, what is it like to be married for 15 years? And the dude looked, looked across his desk at me and just goes, well, you know, eventually you find your own hobbies and just kind of do your own thing. Yeah. Yeah. You want to talk about killjoy, right? <laughs> wow. Don't, like, try and encourage me, please, you know? Like, if he's trying to talk somebody out of killing themselves, they'd end up jumping off a cliff. I mean, that guy was terrible, right? I couldn't believe that. But thankfully, thankfully in my life, there was a good example, too, right? That guy, probably not the best example of marriage, okay? But luckily, there was a good example. And my good example, growing up, wasn't my parents. It was actually my dad's parents. So my grandma and grandpa, okay? They were the sweetest, most amazing couple, right? Have y'all seen the movie Up? Yeah? That first 15 minutes, that's like basically my grandparents' life, right? That's them. I mean, they are the sweet. yeah. Okay, true story. You're, you're not a real human being if you didn't cry at the beginning of that movie. I'm just going to throw that out there, right? It's still like... That first 15 minutes is better than most movies I've seen. You know what I mean? Anyway, I love that movie. Um, we can talk about the glory of Pixar later, but for now. Um, so, so my grandparents, right, uh, they, 
um, they grew up in Shreveport, Louisiana, right? And they lived kind of outside of town. And my grandpa, he actually went across town for school. He went to Bossier City High, right? Bossier City High School. And my grandma went to Bird High in, in Shreveport. And they were like rivals, okay? But because they both lived outside the city, right, their land butted up against each other's on the farms. And, and that's how they met. And so he was, uh, he was 17 and she was 16, and, and they would, like, meet each other on the back of the property, and they'd have a picnic, and he'd drink all of the milk, you know, and her mom would get mad because old Donald Scroggins is drinking all our milk again, you know? And, and that was their relationship. That, he graduated from high school, went to the Marine Corps, came back, proposed to her. They got married when he was 19. She was 18, right? Beautiful marriage. Beautiful High school sweethearts. It was almost Romeo and Juliet, you know, because they're rival high schools. Anyway, I remember growing up, I'd walk into the living room at their house because we loved going to their house, right? I, I remember walking into the living room and they're watching TV just holding hands, you know, like they play solitaire together, right? <laughs> right? And like all these little things, like when he didn't think that I was looking, he'd grab her butt, you know? Which is what you all hope for, you know, in your 60s, you know? You know, some people you have to reach kind of lower to do it, but that's... that's... Hey, gravity's real. Don't, don't be mad at me. Gravity's real. Anyway. Right? And so, my grandmother, my grandmother loves horses. Loves horses. To this day, if you want to make her happy, just take her somewhere where there's horses. Right? And so my grandfather knew nothing about horses, but he wanted to learn. And so he learned husbandry. Like he learned how to like breed and raise horses. And that's what they did. Like I, I remember growing up and there's just quarter horses all over the place, all over their property. They had like eight acres, right? And they, they raised horses because that's what she loved. And he learned to love that, right? And, and my grandfather, um, after he got out of the army, he was in the army for 20-something years. He loved to build, right? Um, somehow that, like, skipped my generation. I, I don't know what happened. So, like, my grandfather, my dad, my little brother, all of them can build things. They can look at things and, like, make it work. And me, I'm like, I made mud. You know, like, I just, <laughs> I can't do it. Like, I can write a mean history paper, you know? Who wants to play some Scrabble? No one. No one wants to play Scrabble. Anyway. But, like, my grandpa loved to build things. He built the house that my grandmother is still currently living in, right? He built that thing. And she learned to enjoy that. She would help him pick out the design and, you know, like, what floor plan, what layout, what cabinets are going to the kitchen, right? Like, to his last days, he was still thinking about how to improve that house. Because that's what he loved to do. They were married for 55 years, 55 years. At night, she has this picture still sitting on her nightstand and she talks to him every night before she goes to sleep. Isn't that beautiful? That was the image of marriage that I aspire to. That's what I want, right? I want that closeness. So what happened in these two marriages? You know, we have, we have the guy at the bank. We have like bank boy, 
right? And he's like, well, you learn your little hobbies and then do your own thing. What a loser. And then you have my grandparents where like, you just want to cry thinking about it, right? So what happened in their lives? They were both normal people. There wasn't anything special about my grandparents. There's not, even some, there's not even something horribly wrong about the guy at the bank. But they had two wildly different outcomes. So what were the different outcomes? What was their choices? It was what they chose to do in the mundane moments. See, I'm sure the guy at the bank, because he worked at a bank, he had to be smart, right? I'm sure that he hit all the high points. I'm positive that on anniversaries and Valentine's Days and birthdays, I'm positive that he bought the pretty dresses, he brought home the flowers, he took her out for a nice steak dinner. I'm positive he did all those things. Because I used to run a restaurant in that town and I'd see him bring his wife in. I know he made those grand gestures, right? But he didn't lose his wife in his marriage in the grand gestures. He lost her in the mundane. See, that statement, that one statement he told me reveals it all. He chose his hobbies over her. When they're watching TV, he didn't hold her hand. Right? And that's juxtaposed against my grandparents, who in the mundane moments chose each other. You know? They'd play that game of solitaire. They'd hold hands when watching NCIS because they're old, right? They learned to love what each other loved. They chose to love what the other loved. Does that make sense? Y'all tracking with me? All right. So what does this all have to do with what we just read in James? Give me a minute, I'll get there, right? But what, what I'm trying to illustrate is that your choices reveal what you value. Your choices reveal what you value, right? So now, nowadays, we're like so used to like making our value declarations on social media, right? You got to have the right trending hashtag, right? And that's how people know like hashtag pray for Paris, right? OMG, the Notre Dame, it's on fire, right? I care. I care. Look, look what I value. I value these things, right? We broadcast these things and assume that that reveals our value, what we value. Does that make sense? But I'm here to tell you that what you value isn't revealed in words, but in deeds. Your choices, what you do, reveals what you value. What you value isn't what you say, it's what you do. My grandparents showed how much they valued each other in their choices. And the bank guy showed what he valued in his. So here's a really scary statement. And I'm sorry if this may rattle your cage. But it's an immutable law of the universe that you get what you want. Right? Immutable means unchangeable. It's an immutable law of the universe that you get what you want. Everyone ultimately gets what they want. Isn't that scary? So we look at the the life of the guy from the bank. He got what he wanted. He, He chose what he wanted. He consistently, in the mundane moments, chose his hobbies. Right? And so he ended up with a life 
filled with nothing but his little hobbies. What a small, sad world. My grandparents chose what they valued, each other. And so they got what they wanted, a life full of each other. Do you see the difference? So I'm telling you this because we're going into summer, right? And a lot of you will be going home, and I want you to choose what you've learned to value in your time here during the school year. I want you to choose what is ultimately valuable, right? Because choice is at the heart of the biblical concept of love, okay? So the, the biblical word for love, the New Testament word for love, I'm sure y'all know this, right, is this word agape, right? Or agape, depending on what emphasis on which syllable you put, right? So agape, that's a little smart kid joke anyway. Um, agape is a love of prizing or a love of choosing. Agape is a love of prizing or a love of choosing. So uh, I can go into like the, the history of the Greek word if you really want to. Maybe we can do that later um, because it looks like y'all will probably fall asleep if I do that. So God has mercy, right? So what that means is that agape love says I choose this but not that. I choose this and reject these, right? It's a prizing or a valuing. So to love as Jesus loves means that you choose as Jesus chose. Jesus chose. English is hard, right? And it's a valuing. It's a valuing. So it is smart and wise to choose what is most valuable. Does that make sense? Like if I had in front of you a ribeye steak cooked in garlic butter to medium rare, perfect medium rare with just a little bit of crust on the outside. You know what I'm talking about. Just, just a little bit crunchy, right? And, and then on the other plate, I had a McDonald's hamburger that had been run over by a car, <laughs> right? I'm like, which one do you want? The steak every time, right? Sorry if you're vegan or vegetarian, but, you know, we're talking about real value here. <laughs> and what are we going to say? Like, okay, for the vegans, what would it be? Would you like the celery stick or the celery stick? I mean, come on. Just go cry with your carrots. I'm kidding. See, did we start down a rabbit trail we should not have? Uh, anyway. That's the problem when you're a preacher and you have ADD, right? Is you just, anyway. Um, so when you love something, when you choose something, you're choosing for the intrinsic value of the thing, right? You're choosing for the inherent value in it, okay? Or for the value that is possible in the future, does that make sense? Like, why did you choose the steak over the ran over hamburger? Because the steak's inherently more valuable. Does that make sense? And sometimes you choose or love something towards the greater value. Y'all tracking with me? 
So when Jesus says he loves you, he's loving you towards a greater value, right? And when we say we love God, it means that we're choosing him above everything else. There's nothing more valuable than God and his kingdom. There's nothing more valuable than God and his kingdom, right? And that's true on the cosmic scale, on the grand and important scale, in the huge big moments, on those things, the make or break moments of your life, right? When, man, I have to choose Jesus in that moment. It's true then. And then it's also true on the mundane. When you wake up in the morning and you choose to get out of bed for Jesus. Choosing for God, choosing for his kingdom, is always the best choice that you can make. So that's why we say that love is an unselfish choice for the highest good of God and his kingdom. Do you understand? So that's why we say love is an unselfish choice for the highest good of God and his kingdom. Because when we tell you to love someone like Jesus loves them, right? You're loving them because of the intrinsic value there. You're loving them because of who they can be in Christ. Does that make sense? You're loving them because Jesus died for them. Y'all tracking with me? So, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. Right? He loved God and he loved the world around him. That means he chose God and he chose for the highest good of those around him. That's why he preached the kingdom of God to them. That's why he wanted them to repent, because he knew that God was the best thing for them. Right? He was normal. He was just a guy, just like all of us. But he did so much more than all of us. He's considered the greatest prophet that ever lived. So why? Well, because we choose our little hobbies in the small, mundane moments of our life. And we don't choose to pursue God. See, God is searching the world. He's looking for someone that will love him in the mundane moments. It's easy for us to say that we love God when we're here at Chi Alpha or when we're at our small groups or on Sunday mornings when we go to church. You know, or, or maybe during those three minutes a day that the average Christian prays. But the bank guy, he got those grand gestures right too. He sent flowers on his anniversary. He didn't miss a birthday. And his life was empty. So, who will learn to love God like my grandparents loved each other? Who's willing to love God and choose God in the mundane moments? So, my wife's family just had a major loss. Uh, Her cousin passed away. She was only 33 or 34, I think. It's just tragic. And the overall sentiment of the family was, why didn't God heal her? Where's the God that does miracles? Right? Where's the God of Elijah? But I always turn that on his head. And I want to ask you, where are the Elijahs of God? Where are the people that will love God in the mundane moments? 
See, we say we love God with our mouths, but who will love God in the daily conversations? Who will seek God in their homework? Who will pray and talk to Him as they walk across campus? Or who will find that sitting, lonely person at lunch and maybe share a meal with them? Who will meet God in those small, quiet times? See, I'm, I'm glad that I had my grandparents' marriage to aspire to. If all I had was the guy, the bank guy's example, it'd be kind of boring. It'd be a huge bummer, right? Like, probably wouldn't be a happily married person. And thankfully, we were given examples all throughout history of people that loved God in the mundane moments. And we see what their lives look like. So I want to tell you about one guy named Count Zinzendorf. He's got an awesome name. Count Zinzendorf. That's him, right? He was just some German dude, right? But let me tell you what he did. At the age of 21, he preached a three-hour sermon because he had invited a bunch of refugees to his land, right? There's a bunch of smaller persecuted Christian groups, and he invited them all to his land, and they had been fighting and arguing with each other. Some of them had even accused him of being the Antichrist, right? Talk about being ungrateful, but, jeez. But at the age of 21, he preached a three-hour sermon with this amazing title. You ready? This title will shake you to your core. Manorial Injunction and Prohibitions. I know, Right? But that, that sermon, had all he did was talk about choosing for each other's highest good. That's what he talked about in that sermon. I've read it. How to love one another. How to choose for someone else's best. Right? And that sermon kicked off a hundred-year prayer meeting. From 1727 until 1827, they prayed for a hundred years in their church. Straight, 24-7, like 24 hours a day, seven days a week. For 100 years. It's the longest recorded prayer meeting in history, right? During that prayer meeting, during that hundred years, it corresponded with 3,000 missionaries sent across the globe. This is called the Moravian Revival. If you know anything of church history, you've heard of this, right? They founded missionary communities all over Europe, the Americas. They were the first missionaries to reach Greenland. They were the first missionaries into equatorial Africa and equatorial South America, in Denmark, in 1732, he heard about a slave plantation by the island of St. Thomas, and he petitioned to have missionaries sent there. David Deachman and, Leonard, and uh, John Leonard Daubert volunteered to go, right? But the slave owner, the owner of that plantation, he owned the whole island. He said, no preacher, no missionary, nobody that knows Jesus is going to ever set foot on this land. If they're shipwrecked, I'll give them clothes, I'll give them food, but they have to stay in a room. I don't want to hear any of that stuff. And so he refused to allow them to come. So what David and Leonard did is they sold themselves into slavery. They sold themselves as slaves to him so that he couldn't refuse. And life was so hard that within six months, Leonard died. And David wrote a letter back to the community in Saxony, Germany. He wrote a letter back to Zinzendorf and said, can you send more? And so every few years, new missionaries were sent. And after 50 years of work in that area, there were 13,000 converts. Right? I could tell you about Francis Xavier. Right? He, he preached to more people before he died at the age of 40 
than anyone else in history until Billy Graham came along and started using TVs and microphones. He was the first missionary to Indonesia, Malaysia, China, Japan, right? He reconciled the St. Thomas Christians with the Catholic Christians in India, right? There's stories about him preaching to native tribes, and he would levitate off the ground as a sign to them that what he was saying was true. I could tell you about Elizabeth Elliot. Have you all heard of her? She witnessed her and her husband went to the tribes in, in Ecuador, right, Ecuador? Went to the, these indigenous tribes in Ecuador that had no concept of Jesus, no witness, no Bible in their language, and they, they just tried to establish contact with them. And her husband was among a group of six of them that was murdered by the tribe. And then she went back to them. And now that whole tribe walks with Jesus to this day. That's what a life Live with God in the mundane moments can be. That's what your life can be. You can really do something with your life if you choose for God in the mundane. So about five years later, um, I was working at the restaurant still, and uh, the guy from the bank came in, right? He just sat at the table. I don't think he recognized me, but I remembered him. And I looked at his hand, and there was no more wedding ring. See, he, he lost his wife. He lost his marriage. Not just in a, man, we're still living in the same home since, but, but divorce. It, it was over. It was gone. Because he didn't seek her in the mundane moments. He never loved what she loved. Right? His marriage showed us that you get what you choose. He got what he wanted. He has a life now, of only his own interests. There's now nothing new. There's no brightness. There's no joy. There's no life there. Because it's just him. You get what you want. If you choose your own little hobbies, God will leave you alone to them. He will let you have a life full of hobbies, devoid of him. It's those thousand little moments that we spend valuing ourselves that reveal who we are. Here's the deal. You are as godly as you want to be. You are as godly as you want to be. God will not honor you in the grand gestures, just like he didn't honor Israel when they made sacrifices while they were backslidden. But God will honor you if you meet him in the mundane moments, if you seek him in the small things in your life. If it sounds reciprocal, it's because it is. In James 4.8, it says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you.